Father, we thank you for uh, you are here with us. We thank you that we gather around your presence together. And we are here to make the name of Jesus famous. That's why we come. So Lord, anoint my words this morning and give us fresh revelation of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so last week, we, uh, we began a new series, a new vision series uh, for this church. And at the start of this year, we want to really establish uh, together with you very clearly of, of who we are and, and where we want to go. And personally for me, uh, this vision really gets me excited about what God is up to around here in this church and what's going to happen in, in, our, in our city. We said it last week, we've been saying it for about a year now, our vision is releasing the kingdom of heaven on earth. Releasing the kingdom of heaven on earth. Do you guys know that this vision is actually impossible to do? It is. It's impossible to do without partnering with the Father and coming into alignment with what he is up to in the, in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. Without that, it's impossible. That's what gets me so amped up and excited about it. We've got to rely on Jesus to get this done. It's so good. And so we started this vision series last week, and we're in it again today. And then for the next four weeks or so, we're going to continue on. And what we want is we want to see the kingdom of Jesus advanced in and through our lives and through this church and all around us, right? It's about seeing Jesus building his church and seeing prisoners and captives set free. To see healings and miracles and the power of the Spirit. And to see lives dramatically touched by God. Seeing lost people found regularly and redeemed. It's about seeing people living out their kingdom identity. And seeing the mission of God advancing throughout our city, across our nation, and around the world. Are you up for that? Yeah. Yeah. So this vision statement actually reminds me that the kind of church Jesus is, is, is creating... And he's leading is not one of hesitancy. It's, it's not one of caution. It's, a church, it, it's, it's not a church that holds back. Okay, in, Jesus, uh, sorry, in Matthew, Jesus said, Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing is going to stop this church from advancing because it's his church. Nothing can stop the church from going forward. His church really is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. And we really do believe that when we come into alignment with the Father in Christ, and as we move forward in faith, nothing is going to stop us. Because he's building his church through you, through me. So the question then is, well, what makes that happen? What makes that happen? How, How does that get done? And this series, we want to paint this picture for you, paint a little brightly about how we're going to do that. Okay, and so last week we saw that there are four things that we have settled on that define what we'll, what we'll do as a church. Okay, through releasing the kingdom of heaven on earth, we will encounter God's presence as we unpacked last week. Today we'll, we're going to talk about embrace kingdom life, and then we'll get into experience community in the weeks to come and change the world. And so these four things are, are really our four essential pathways or our pillars to build on as we seek to put the vision of this church into action. Okay, so last week, Pastor Sandy did an amazing job of helping us understand what it means to encounter God's presence. If you've not heard it, wait till we're done here and then go home and listen to it, okay? It's amazing. 
Okay? You and I, as said last week, we have full, unhindered access under an open heaven to the authentic, living presence of God right now. Right now. And today I want to talk to you about the essential pathway of embrace kingdom life. So what does that mean? What what does embrace kingdom life mean? Jesus talks a lot about it in the Gospels. And so what is exactly, what is it that we are called to? I've heard it explained like this before, and I actually think it's quite helpful. Um, So you and I have have grown up in the world around us, um, and the world that we've grown up in is normally pretty negative. Okay, there's an inerrant negativity in our culture and in our, in our society and around the world. Okay, we have problems in this world, right? We have problems. Okay, we see problems all the time in, in this world and we live in a problem-solving universe. And here's the thing. Heaven is not. Okay, there are no problems in heaven. None. Why? Because they see everything as a possibility. Right? If you read through the Beatitudes in, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, you'll see Jesus who, who came from heaven and he said, You've heard that it was said, you know, do not murder. But I have come and I, I say to you, if you even look at somebody in a way that is not pleasing to me, what's going to happen? You're facing judgment. Okay? He came and changed that which is, we were familiar with. You see, Jesus not only came from heaven, but he brought heaven's kingdom perspective with him so that we could get new eyes to see, so we get a new lens for living and the way we see things. He gave us, he gave us heaven's mindset and to teach us a language that only heaven knows. So you and I have grown up speaking a language of earth, and Jesus came to teach us the language of the kingdom of heaven. See, the kingdom life is learning about how to think like heaven thinks. It is learning to see the world around us the same way that, that heaven sees the world around us. It's learning to live in a way that heaven sees us. Okay, and Jesus came to make heaven known to us and to show us how you and I are really known in heaven. And so at the end of the day, embracing kingdom life is, is about learning the language of heaven. Okay, living with heaven's mindset, the, the mind of Christ. Okay, 1 Corinthians 2, 16. And learning to ask this question, can this actually exist in heaven? Okay, does this issue or this problem exist in heaven? And if it doesn't, it can't exist here. And you're saying, what? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Okay, so the way that we have been trained to think is look at all these problems in front of us. Look at this problem that I'm sitting in right now. And heaven says, hold on a minute. We have a solution to your problem. And further, heaven says, for every problem that people in this earthly realm face, there's a promise from heaven and a greater provision for you on the other side of that problem. So kingdom living is learning to think like heaven thinks. And that then requires us to reposition the way that you and I think about and how we approach life and how we approach the world around us. That's why when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So what's he actually telling us to pray? He's teaching us to release that which is in heaven on earth. He's saying, hey guys, whatever issue or problem you see here doesn't exist in my realm. So ask for heaven's solution. That's that's living the kingdom life. Okay, I want to get a little bit more specific here this morning. Um, Earlier this week, I was reading and dialoguing with the Father about about kingdom life and asked him, what what is the most essential thing we need to learn when it comes to embracing kingdom life? I, I sensed that he said one thing. Okay, out of all the different ways that we could talk about kingdom life and we could talk about doing kingdom life, and trust me, we're going to talk about that in the months to come, okay? But I sense the Father say there's one thing that actually is more important than anything else when it comes to kingdom living. And this one thing sets the tone for everything we do. See, everything else in our life flows from this one area, and this one area is embracing your kingdom identity. Do you know that your identity comes from the Father's heart in heaven? And Jesus came and he brought it to earth for you and I to embrace? That's amazing. That is amazing. Your identity comes from the heart of the Father in heaven. And Jesus came and brought it to earth for you, for me to embrace. One of the greatest tensions I, I see both inside the church and, and outside the church is, is the issue of, of knowing who we really are. Who are we? Who, who defines us? Who, who defines us? What defines us? We find out in a hurry where our identity comes from when, we, when someone asks us the question, tell me about yourself. That's a great interview question. Hey, tell, tell me about yourself. How, often, how, how, how do we answer that usually? Okay, oftentimes we answer that question by, by explaining what we do or we talk about our family. Those things are great, but it actually doesn't reveal who we are. When Jesus came and brought heaven to us, he brought with him a whole new paradigm, a whole new paradigm of identity for us to live by. See, the way that the Father in heaven sees you uh, is what he sent down with Jesus to make you aware and me aware and everyone else around us aware that the way that we are currently viewing ourselves in the world is not the way heaven sees us. Embracing our kingdom identity, the way that heaven sees you and I, the way that our Father sees us is the key to embracing kingdom life. It's the key. So I want to tell you a story this morning uh, that I think vividly describes um, our Father in heaven and how he sees us and where our identity comes from. You can follow along if you like. Um, It's going to be in Luke 15, starting verse 11. But I'm just going to give you the narrative of that story. Okay? So Luke 15, starting in chapter 11. It's rules. Verse 11. So there's a story of a father who has two sons. Okay, one day the younger son goes to his father and he says, Hey, hey, dad, um, give me my share of the inheritance. And in the culture of that day, okay, this is the highest of insults toward a father as the inheritance is never given until the death of the father. 
a high insult. And so what the son was really saying was, hey, you know what? I actually can't wait for you to die, so give me my inheritance now. That's what he said. <laughs> so what did the father do? That father, in the culture of that day, could have beaten him silly. He could have. That was a cultural norm from a, re- a request such as that. Okay, but what does he do? The father divides up the property and gives him his share. Now, the father really didn't give him his inheritance, okay? He actually just gave him money. Now, we, you and I have grown up in the world thinking that inheritance equals money, but that's different in the kingdom. Okay, you'll see. Don't hear me wrong. Monetary inheritance, is, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not the point of this story. So what happens? It says, then the son, he goes away and spends all his money on prostitutes and, and wild living, and, and uh, after a time, there's a severe famine. Okay, and he went and he found a job feeding, feeding pigs, which was the lowest of the low jobs from the culture that this son had come from. And in the original Greek, it says, when he came to himself. And then when he came to himself, and when he came to his senses, what did he do? He went home. When he came to himself, he went home. Why? Because he realized, he said, well, wait, wait a second, what am I doing? Okay, what am I doing? Why am I behaving like this? I could go to my father's house and, and, and be a servant and be treated better than I'm being treated now. I'm going home. And so he goes back to his father's house. Now in that culture, when someone did what this younger son did, they were completely cut off from the family, completely. They were cut off from the family, the village, and the society. And in most Middle Eastern homes, when a son made a request the way this son did, he would have been beaten, like I said earlier. And as soon as he even came into the vicinity of the village, he would have faced shame and condemnation. And he could have even been stoned to death for defiling his family the way he did. So the son is well aware of his consequences, yet he realized that he was still better off, even if his father would take him back, just take him back as a servant in the lowest place of his house. So the son heads home. And you know what happens? Does the father go, oh man, here he comes. He's just spent all my money. Oh, he's going to pay. He is going to pay. Now he wants forgiveness? Are you kidding me? I'll tell you what. He's going he's gonna to do some time first. Yep, that's what he's going to do. He needs to be punished. Okay, my older son's been doing all this work. He's doing double the work. Because my young, younger son's been away, spending all my money, defiling my family. I'm going to give him the dirtiest job. Yep, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach him to spend my money on prostitutes. He's going to do some time. Oh, yeah. Does that kind of response sound a little familiar to anybody? Tell you what, I've, I've grown up in the church and there have been times, different seasons in my life where I've heard those voices. But is this the Father's attitude? Is this heaven's attitude? No, no, it's not. What happens? 
This is absolutely amazing. So the boy isn't all the way home yet. He's not all the way home. And by, I mean, he still has time to change his mind, right? So the boy is still a long way off. While he's still a long way off, the father runs out to meet him. He wants to make sure the boy comes home. And you know what happens sometimes when, when you and I get close to home and there's shame on us? What happens? You start thinking about what your brother's going to think. You, you start thinking, what are my, what are my servants going to think? What, what's my pastor going to think? What are my friends going to think? And what's my, what's my dad going to think? Shame. But the father saw him from a long ways off, and he ran out to meet him. He embraced him, and he kissed him. You see, the father knew what his son deserved. He knew how the village felt about his son. He knew they were ready to stone him. He knew how the older son felt about him. But picture this. (laughs) Everyone in the fields turned their head and saw the father running after his son. And in those days, the leader of the house, the elder father, never ran. It was a sign of indignity. Undignified to run. And he ran, filled with compassion, running and embracing the lost son. In the process, hear this, in the process, protecting his son from his deserved punishment. So as they embrace, the son calls out to the father, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your dad. Okay, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I, 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 I will just please accept me as the lowest servant in your house. And the father says, shh, 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 stop talking. Shh. And he yells out to his servants, quick, bring me the robe, the best robe, my robe, and put it on him. Bring me the ring and put it on his finger and bring me sandals and, and put it on his feet and do it quickly. See, the father's smart. When the son asked for his inheritance, he only gave him money. He watched this. He puts the robe on the boy, the robe of, right, of, of forgiveness, okay? Robe of covering of sin and shame and he restores his identity he does. Like the robe of righteousness that you and I wear that talks about in Isaiah 61.10, for he's clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. And then he puts a ring on his finger and he restores his authority. The boy merely wanted to be in a place of low position in the, as a slave or as a servant, but the father put the ring on and said, No, son, you have wealth in my home. You have a position of honor and delegated authority. And then he put on his sandals and restores his freedom and his purity and gives him renewed purpose and meaning in his life. This is unbelievable. The father gave him his true inheritance, his identity, his authority, his freedom, and his purpose for his life. Then they threw a party, and in the midst of this party, they wonder where the older brother is. Hey, where's Danny? Where's the older brother? 
And someone says, ah, he's out in the field. And the father goes, what? What's he doing out there? So the father goes out to his older son. He says, son, what's, what's going on? And the son says, oh, man, you, you killed a fattened calf for this guy? He went out and spent all your money on prostitutes. He defiled our family. You gave him a robe. You gave him a ring. You put sandals on his feet. I, I was obedient to you. I followed all your rules. And you, you gave him the fat calf. I didn't even get a goat. And the father goes, boy, I've given him the fat calf, but you, you on the farm, son. Everything I have is yours. See, the older brother is like religion. Okay, religion wants you to pay for what you did. Religion says you pay for what you did, but Jesus said, I paid for what you did. I paid for what you did. And in the process, I set you free, and I gave you a robe of righteousness and authority and restored purpose and meaning in your life. That's what I did. Why on earth would the older brother hang out waiting for his father to give him a goat when he owned the whole farm? What the older son failed to recognize, friends, was that he was a son. He wasn't a servant. He was a son. The younger son was restored to his kingdom identity, authority, and purpose. He came from a place of desolation and and backsliding and didn't think he deserved to be restored to the identity that came with being at home. The older son followed the rules of his father, worked hard on the farm, and and yet still identified himself as a servant and not a son, even though everything was his. What's the problem here? Both boys never understood who they really were. Here's the reality, okay? So many of us have that same struggle. Okay, we don't really know who we are. I don't want us to think that the story is just about the prodigal, okay, we, which we often associate with as a backslider or, or a wayward son or, and someone who doesn't attend church or, or someone who doesn't call themselves a Christ follower anymore, or at least they say they do, but there's no fruit. Okay, many of us in the church are still thinking like the older brother. We perform for God's love. Okay, we work hard and we follow every rule and we try to please him by what we do. Oh, what a burden. Yet we've lost sight of the fact that we don't just work on the farm as a servant does. We're sons and daughters of the owner. I wonder if one of the biggest reasons that we as Christ followers struggle with living out our true identity in Christ is, you know, that we're saints, that we are royalty, we are worthy, we are children of God, the Father delights in us. I wonder if that struggle is because we still identify with the person who we used to be before we met Christ. The old man, our old sinful nature. Friends, that nature's gone. It's gone. 
Romans 6, 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we are no longer slaves to sin. Romans 6, 11, Consider yourselves dead to sin. We are new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Here's the problem. A very large portion of the church believes that when, that, that when we are saved, we're still sinners who constantly need to repent and we get caught in the cycle of, of shame and guilt and self-punishment and repentance in that same circle over and over. Why? Because our mindset is not the mindset of heaven. The mindset or language of the world that we've grown up in says, I am a sinner saved by grace. Friends, Jesus came to set us free from all of that. Okay, at the cross, the blood of Christ saved us and killed off the old man, the old nature. Our sinful nature's gone. And our new nature is that we are saints. Yes, it's true, we have moments of sin. Okay, but this does not come from a sinful nature anymore. Some will mention 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, where Paul seems to mention that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of, of who I am the chief. Now, we've heard that verse many times. I understand that this looks like a solid basis. It's one verse. For those who wish to believe that we are still sinners and identify with our old nature, but this is actually a translation issue, friends. And, and, and the way it's interpreted is inconsistent with the rest of Paul's letters. How he uses the Greek word here, proto, prototype, in other areas of his letters doesn't line up with the same use here. And he was very consistent with that word. A more correct translation is from the message that says, Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm proof. Public, public sinner number one of someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy. And now he shows me off. Evidence of his endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. See, Paul was referring to who he was. He was public sinner number one. And then he experienced the mercy and grace of Jesus and was declared dead to sin. Old nature gone. Look at it this way. One author says, before we received Christ, we were called sinners. We were professionals at sinning. Okay, we were prone to sin. When we received Christ, we became saints. The word saint means holy believer. Okay, you can't be a sinner and a saint at the same time. How is it possible to be prone to sin and still be a holy, holy believer? The word sinner implies that we are prone to do wrong. Okay, if we believe we are sinners, we will sin by faith. Okay, Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as a man thinks within himself, so he is. If we still believe we are sinners, we will be unable to access the grace to live as a saint and will still try to perform good works in order to merit forgiveness. It is not our nature to sin. Friends, please hear me on this, okay? You can watch it again later to make sure I said this. I'm not saying that I don't sin anymore, okay? I'm just saying that that's not who I am anymore. 
That's not who you are anymore. Because through the death and resurrection of Jesus, he destroyed our sinful nature and declared us saints. That's what he did. We, are no, we no longer identify as sinners. We identify as saints. And a royal priesthood of believers. That is who Jesus has declared you and I to be. Hear this. Sin only has power in your life and in mine if we give it permission. Let me say that again. Sin only has power in your life and mine if we give it permission. That's the only way. It can't come from our nature. It's new. So it comes by us choosing to engage in sin. And when we do, we need to repent. And not receive shame or condemnation. That's not in Jesus. And we get up and we keep going as saints. Okay. So how do we embrace our kingdom identity then? How, how do we learn to identify not as sinners, but as saints in the kingdom? How many of you know that we actually become what we imagine? Can we become what we imagine? I can't tell you how many times I've heard this before. Okay, some, many people say, you know what? I am never going to be like my dad. He was an alcoholic and he was angry. I will never be like him. What happens? What happens? Many times, most of the time, they actually become just like them. I know you've all seen that. How is that possible? It's this principle at work. We, we, we will become what we imagine. Okay, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We become what we behold. We spend so much of our lives reacting to ways that we do not want to be instead of responding to what the kingdom of heaven has asked us to be. Okay, so what happens is that we focus on the one thing we don't want to be. You know, we imagine it. You picture that alcoholic father, the angry dad, or that mom who was never around, and you will reproduce the very thing that you focus all your energy on. So then the opposite's true, right? If you focus on living out who you are in Christ, your kingdom identity, Ephesians chapter 1 is a great place to start. You will begin believing it. There is another way for us to embrace our identity, and that's, that's to learn, learn to love yourself enough to believe that you're worthy to be called royal. And the root for so many of us, so many people, of why we have such a difficult time embracing our identity in Christ is they lack love for themselves. And oftentimes it comes from what they believe about themselves. Not oftentimes, all the time. It comes from what you believe about yourself. What you believe about yourself is the foundation of your entire life. It's your identity. How many times have you gone through a construction site and you know they're, they're, they haven't framed yet, they're just building the foundation. It takes a long time. And all of a sudden when they start framing, the house is almost done. Two weeks later, it's all, all done. They spent so much time on the foundation, getting it right. So it is with our identity. What we believe about ourselves defines who we are. 
And most of the time, this stems back to a lie or lies that we've believed about ourselves. What were the things that your parents or, or others said to you regularly growing up? What family sayings do you remember that were spoken or unspoken? What are the things that you catch yourself saying to yourself? Now, I want to be clear. These lies, friends, that we believe are not from the kingdom of heaven. They're from the pit of hell. Lies about who you are are not from the Father in heaven. And what attaches itself to these lies is a condemning voice that says, you're not good enough. It says, you'll never amount to anything. It says, yeah, you're not lovable. You're alone. Condemnation says, you sin, you're a sinner. Condemnation says, you lied, you're a liar. Condemnation says, you lust, you're a pervert. You drank, you're an alcoholic. See, condemnation connects your sin to your identity. That's what condemnation likes to do. Okay, and it will make you feel low and undeserving of the Father's love, and undeserving to live out our kingdom identity. Cool, condemnation's bad. It's not good. It's from, it's from hell. Condemnation's not good. Here's the difference, friends, between a condemning voice and the Holy Spirit's voice, especially regarding sin. Okay, like I said, condemnation says you're a sinner. No, you sin, you're a sinner. Holy Spirit says... You are way too amazing to be acting like that, boy. Get up. Let's keep going. Stop behaving below your nature, son. Let's go. Holy Spirit says, you're way too awesome to be acting like that. Come on. Let's go. Let's get going. You're a saint. Let's go. You don't need to live like that. Big difference. There's something else that keeps us from living out our true identity in the kingdom, friends, and that's having a religious spirit. Okay, I'm not going to talk a lot about this one, but I want to mention one thing. As one author put it, a, a religious spirit likes to rub our noses in the past to remind us of all the sins we've committed to keep us humble. Keeping score of our past sins to keep us humble is a gross perversion of the gospel and only creates shame and more shame and condemnation. Sh and, and shame is not humility. Shame is the fruit of humiliation that works against the truth. Okay, a religious spirit requires us to keep something in our minds, sin of the past, that is not in God's mind. This doesn't mean we forget our past, but rather it means seeing our past through the blood of Jesus, which should bring us praise from our hearts because of the freedom of the burden of sin and the freedom and the freedom of a guilty heart. Something that you and I are not meant to carry in the kingdom of life. I truly believe, I am so convinced, friends, that if you knew who you really were, all, all of your struggles, all of them would disappear. All of them. I am so convinced of this. 
And I am convinced that the struggles we have in this world and all the issues in the world and in our city, I'm convinced that the issue of domestic violence in Eritrea would be gone if everyone knew and experienced how much God really loved them. And if they knew who they really were, gone. What would happen if we, if you and I, became like mothers and fathers instead of older brothers and sisters? And because of the Father's love that we received, we live out our true identity. We'd be able to love people the way the Father loves us. What? What would happen if you and I and everyone in this building believed that we were a race of royal people? Everybody. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine the kingdom impact we would have? This can be a reality, friends. This can be a reality. This is why you and I must know and learn the language of heaven. We must receive the Father's love for us and embrace our kingdom identity so that we can help others know the love of the Father and help others know how to walk in the true identity in Christ. I invite the worship team up right now. There's so many ways we can be living in this and how we remind ourselves of this. For me, I, I downloaded an app, Who I Am in Christ. All the time, keep it in front of your face. Who am I? Who am I? Live as a saint. Would you guys mind standing up with me right now? One of the questions we often ask ourselves is, who am I? Right? Who am I? Maybe, maybe you identify with, with the younger son after receiving the true identity from his father. Okay, you are royal and you believe it. Okay, you sit at the father's table and you eat of heaven's delicacies and you enjoy it. And you receive love from the Father. You love yourself well, and you love others well. That's awesome. Keep going. Perhaps so you identify with the older son as a servant. You struggle with fear, maybe. You feel like you've received nothing, living out with no inheritance. You aren't sure if the master has ever loved you. You feel stuck in the cycle of, of, of sinning and feel shame and, and condemnation and you repent and you're stuck in that cycle. You feel you don't, you don't have greater purpose and you don't feel like you're fulfilling any kind of great destiny. Is that you? Perhaps you identify with a younger son before, before he came home. Where are you on the journey now? Are you still running? Are, are you mad or angry at the Father? Do you realize what, who you're running from? Do you? Are you aware that the Father has a robe of righteousness meant for you and a ring for you? And sandals to put on your feet 
come home. Because he wants to restore your identity in him. I want to tell you something. Those who are running, I know there's dozens of emotions you're feeling right now. But I guarantee you something. If you turn your face to the Father, He's running after you. And their Father will run after you. And I guarantee that when you come home, you will be so taken by the Father's love, you'll never want to leave home again. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Friend, He's inviting you to enter the royal kingdom and sit with the king today. That's what he's doing. He's tugging on your heart. He wants to restore your identity too. And if that's you right now, would you just pray after me? If you want to invite Jesus into your life and receive his kingdom identity and know the father who's known you from the beginning, just pray after me. Father, thank you for loving me. Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who paid the price for me and for my sin. I receive Jesus now into my life. Would you restore my identity that comes from you? Lavish your love upon me. Friend, put that robe of righteousness around you right now. That ring he's putting on your finger and he's putting sandals on your feet. Say, Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, would you just declare this after me all together? We're going to do a little who I am exercise. Okay. I declare out loud that I am a child of the King. I am a friend of Jesus. I am loved by my Heavenly Father. I am royalty. I am a saint. I am a kingdom influencer. I am worthy to be loved. I'm dead to sin but alive in Christ. I am a new creature. I am an overcomer. I've been created for greatness. And the Father delights in me. I believe this about myself today. Amen. <laughs> That's good. Friends, our identity in Christ is not just something that we can educate ourselves in. Okay, this is a gift from heaven. It's imparted to us from heaven, from the Father. So one of the things I do all the time is, is I, I pray for the spirit of revelation and wisdom. Holy Spirit. I say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me deeper levels of the Father's love for me and for other people. And I also pray, would you reveal deeper levels of my identity in you? If that's you, would you just hold out your hands like this? If you want to know the Father's love on deeper levels, if you want to know His identity for you, just hold your hands out and I'm going to just declare this over you right now. 
Father, I praise you for who you are. I praise you for you love us unconditionally. I praise you that when we're on the run, you're watching for us and waiting for us to come home. Oh God, release your love over your people right now. Everyone, even if their hands are not out, release your love over them too. Whether you want it or not, it's coming. Release kingdom identity over these people. Lord, let them know that they're no longer sinners. They are saints. And when we mess up, that you love us nonetheless. You pick us up and you stay, keep going. Because you're a saint. You're royalty. Yes, impart that, Father, into them right now. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to say one more thing. Keep your hands open. Hebrews 10, verse 22, sorry, 19 and 22 says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Here's what I want you to hear. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Friends, Jesus does not only forgive our sins, he cleanses our minds. He cleanses our old identity and gives us a new one. So Lord, would you cleanse our minds right now? We say no to condemnation. We say no to guilt. We say no to shame and receive your love unconditionally. Thank you, Jesus. If you want a fresh impartation after the service, you're welcome to come up. We'll have ministry team here. We'll pray for you. You can come up and just pray on your own. For the rest of you, know that the Father has given you identity. Now just embrace it. Have an awesome week. Be filled with peace. Amen.